Okay, welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is Secret Agent Men, Episode 7, The Born Ultimatum. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined, as always, for this endeavour, for these missions by fellow Secret Agent Men, Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you? I'm good. I watched the movie this morning. Yeah, the rest of the movie this morning. Where... The rest of it. I, I, I made it up to, he sat down in like the cafe with Nikki, yeah. and then I was like, I am so tired after oh. a, a week of work. <laughs> I, I need to go to bed now. And also, like miss all the fireworks going off at 11pm last night this was one of the ones I was most excited about you seeing knowing that you had you seen any of this because I know you'd seen like part of the first one several times and... this is probably where the, I become like aware of trailers yeah. more than anything so like I've seen the trailer of this movie there's a bit somewhere like, oh I remember seeing this yeah the shot uh, of him jumping through that window was everywhere I think <laughs> yeah like I've never seen any of this movie in any way shape or form but I've definitely like I know imagery from it but that's because this is what summer of 2007 so like peak yeah. me starting to get into interested in film was like a 15 year old i was excited to do this one because there is a level of interconnectivity to the trilogy that is pretty rare for a franchise i think and it's one thing to ask people to keep stuff in their head two years at a time three years at a time but we're doing these within a few short weeks of each other so i was like oh cool this will really track all of the like connectivity stuff as soon as we decided to do a podcast featuring the Bourne movies, I was like, oh, cool, it's going to be fun when we get to Ultimatum. What did you think of it? It's really good. It's weird because I think it manages to nail all the stuff the other ones have kind of, like, not failed at, but kind of, like, struggled to bring in. This felt the first time where the story didn't feel slight. It felt like there were actual stakes that I gave a crap about in this one because, mm. I mean, you texted me and said, oh, we have another movie where, like, the <laughs> plot would be over if, like, they just sat down and had a conversation. I was like, no, I don't think they would because the entire thing is... Early on, maybe. <laughs> Early on, maybe, but it's the kind of the, the whole thing where, like, the CEO is just like, oh no, we just want to kill Bourne because he's a thorn in our side and him yeah. being out there makes us look bad. Yeah. I'm like, no, this is interesting. I like this more than, like, we know that they're the bad guys rather than mm. in Supremacy, where, like, halfway through it turns out Brian Cox is the bad guy. Shock. Yeah. So, released August 2007, so three years after Supremacy and one year after uh, MI3 and Casino Royale. So, it's had some time to do some reacting to some things. A bigger break between this and Supremacy than between identity and supremacy so I feel it's a well-made film and I think they really took their time with it and you can see that that they thought everything out and, and took their time to like make everything what it needed to be and that layoff probably is why. Directed again by Paul Greengrass because he did such a good job with Supremacy. Tony Gilroy is back asterisk, I'll get to it in a minute. Uh, joining him as writers are George Nolfi, who up until this point had done Ocean's 12 and The Sentinel, and he would go on to do Adjustment Bureau with Matt Damon. And Scott Z. Burns, who <laughs> I don't know how he got this job because at this point he had produced an Inconvenient Truth, and he wrote and I think directed something called Pew 239 or Poo 239, I don't, PU-239, which I had never heard of, but big at festivals apparently. He would later do The Informant, Contagion, both Matt Damon movies I believe, and Bond 25, he is one of the writers, uh, as in No Time to Die. So we will hear his name again in several episodes time. One hour, 50 minutes long, so slightly longer than Supremacy, but still shorter than Identity, which got a little bit bloated, 
so still a bit tighter. $110 million, which is significantly more than they had been spending on these to the point almost double. Not quite, but yeah. And you can see. The second one, like, obviously it's got more action in it, but it's still somewhat... It's smaller scale than certainly Mission Impossible and Bond were doing. Like, they're doing these huge set pieces, and then Ultimatum is like, alright, let's take... We'll, we'll try our hand at this, see how we do. And I think they did do a good job, but yeah, cost more money. And it made $444 million, which makes it the highest grossing Bourne movie, uh, but still lower than all of the Bonds we're going to do, at least. And I don't know how the Mission Impossible start doing. I think it's more than the first three made. But no, Mission really? Impossible 1's a monster, isn't okay. it? Okay. I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head. I should have looked it up again, but certainly more than three. 457 for Mission Impossible 1, so less than that. Yeah. Mission Impossible 2, 546, so less than less that. that. <laughs> Mission Impossible 3, 397. So more so, than three, but probably than three. less than all the other ones. Yes, all the others are kind of hovering around the $700, $800 million mark. So yeah, this is the highest grossing born, but also the less than... One of the lowest grossing we're going to do, yeah. Because, I mean, you know, fundamentally, for as good as these get, and as this one seems far more like they're attempting to tool it for a mainstream audience, it is still, like, a kind of more... I don't want to say cerebral, because it is still kind of dumb. But, you know, it's less, like, bombastic than Bond and Mission Impossible I, are. It's not trying to say this is going to be fun. <laughs> so I also I, think it's it's the most American in kind of how it does. Like, Tom Cruise is a box office draw internationally. And the thing with these movies is it is fundamentally back to, like, kind of, like, CIA, FBI, kind of. Yeah, but it's uh, very... The first two are certainly very Eurocentric. and th th They feel like European movies, but also they're very much made with that kind of, like, American lens. And I feel yeah. like in this period, especially kind of like mid 2000s, it's kind of a turn off for a movie to be this quite kind of like, even though the movie is criticizing these yeah. these things that America does, it still comes off as a little bit kind of like US focused in a Euro thriller yeah. structure. And the first one to, I mean, obviously the CIA characters have been in America, but this is the first time we've seen Jason Bourne in America in the franchise so far, because the conclusion happens in New York. Surprise little interconnectivity thing. Uh, I'm <laughs> So I'm, I'm intrigued. So was it cold in the end of number two? Uh, yeah. When he was it walking was. away from the confession, it was there was snow everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I couldn't yeah, remember yeah. that. They had to, but because they shot it obviously at a different time, they had to make fake snow, and it took them five hours to blanket their set in fake snow. So that's. Fine. I was going to say, like, I was going to say, like, did they go for the effort to like make it the same time of year? Did they do a Game of Thrones and like delay <laughs> filming so they could film in New York? No, I don't think most people. Uh, no, it wasn't snowing in New York. It was snowing in uh, Moscow. Oh no, I meant the um, not the, the not that scene, like the scene in New York when they're running around New York. There's mm -hmm. like snow on the ground and stuff is like that. that. Like, yes, there is. Oh, I didn't spot that, but uh, yeah, maybe not. They did certainly refilm that ending that is supposed to be, like, this is exactly what happened at the end of Supremacy. Like, that, that is all entirely reshot, even the repeat dialogue. Yeah, I thought that was really fun, and I was waiting for you to be like, oh my god! <laughs> so, there's not a huge amount of background, because it's like, Supremacy's a hit, so we'll greenlight a sequel, and then they made it, and they brought everyone back. But, interestingly, so they paid Tony Gilroy to write a draft. He did. He turned it in, and then immediately bounced, because he was going to go direct Michael Clayton and get into the directing game, which will get him the directing job on Braun, Braun Legacy. He, he he said about his draft, like, in Supremacy, it was his intention to push the, like, the guilt and the desire for atonement stuff even further. Like, that original ending of, like, the confession, and then he just walks away. He wanted to go even further with it, so, like, I guess that's why that is as big, if not bigger, of an element in this version. However, Matt Damon 
has been incredibly critical of this draft that he turned in and accused him of doing a cash grab to get a screenwriting credit and not giving a shit and that it was like potentially career ending and that sort of stuff. So he does no rewrites. He completely walks away from it as soon as he hands his draft in. They bring in two new writers to... There was even a third, but I, I think he said not one word of my script is in there. So, But yeah, the, the two they bring in basically wrote this movie and just used the bare bones of what he wrote. And uh, yeah, Matt Damon and Tony Gilroy didn't speak for several years and then Tony Gilroy wrote The Great Wall. So maybe they should continue to not speak. <laughs> it's a weird one because Tony Gilroy has been like all over this franchise and he will get full creative control for the next one because Greengrass is going to bounce after this and Matt Damon is going to bounce and they let him write and direct easily the worst one or well, I haven't seen Jason Bourne yet but <laughs> you're in for a fun time with the Bourne legacy I mean it's, I mean, it's interesting because obviously like at this point his biggest movie which he technically isn't credited as director on even though he <laughs> directed a hell of a lot movie is Rogue One a great Star Wars movie. Uh, yeah. Someone someone said the best. <laughs> I, I, th- I think he's also one of the directors and writers on the Cassian Andor show as well, but okay. we'll see about that. So our agent is Jason Bourne. More of the same, really. He doesn't really talk that much. He never smiles. I think for as much as a like serious loner as he is, I think he's at his most fun when he's interacting with others. So when it's you know the journalist at the beginning and Nikki and then... Landy again, and then Noah Vos and all that. I think that's when he's at his most fun, is when he is actually talking to somebody else, obviously. (laughs) It's a little bit more of the, like, giving people the slip, being very slick, all of that. More physical this time, probably the most jacked he had been so far. I have seen the scenes of him shirtless fighting people in Jason Bourne, where he's probably bigger than he is here, but, like, in those first two, he kind of just looks like a normal dude, whereas this one, I think he is a little bit more like, hey, he's quite buff. But, I mean, there isn't really much to the Jason Bourne character, but I think Matt Damon continues to breathe more into it than is on the page, and just, he does a good job of being engaging and sympathetic, even though you find out some fucked up shit about Jason Bourne in this movie. (laughs) I think he's he's certainly the least charismatic of our three leads that we're going to look at, well, four if we count. Renner. But it's one of those interesting things where it, it doesn't, the character doesn't need to be the no. kind of like smirky Tom Cruise or the, the, the sexual innuendo y James Bond. And I think that's what they're going for. They're like, right, this dude is legit. Like, he isn't here for like the one liners. This is a legit, ruthlessly efficient, calculating person. And like, for better or worse, and it might be why they make less money is because they are not advertising. Come see this charismatic man say funny things and blow shit up. Yeah. I just wouldn't be surprised if this was like a higher age rating than some of those other ones. Yeah, there's more swearing and slightly more violence, I guess. Or... Yeah, I mean, that might that might put a cap on like how much this can do. I don't know if it is R-rated, but like, it's certainly... I don't think is... it was. I think it was a slightly higher rating. So, our mission at this time, Bourne attempted to get to the bottom of the whole Treadstone stuff, but there's more to it. So he goes looking for, I will use the phrase, the head of the snake and more about his past, and this gets him onto the trail of something called Black Briar, and then the CIA are desperate to stop him from exposing the full truth and they're like right we need to kill Jason Bourne right this second that's basically the plot kind of the least convoluted um, maybe for the best so we open in Moscow as we said it is directly in the aftermath of his confession to Nesky's daughter it's a few hours later because it's now nighttime. so he's like still limping He's limping away from the police. He gets some more flashbacks, but he does get away from the police without killing anyone. The police over the radio mention the tunnel chase, just to really hammer it home for you. This is directly after that scene with Kirill and everything. More of the, like, he gets on a train, he gets off a train. 
like he's alluded them, more self-medication. We see here our newest series of flashbacks, because in the first one you've got all the stuff on the yacht that he's remembering in bits and pieces. The second one there's the really horrible looking highway stuff where he's in the back of the car. And this time we've got these scenes of him in some sort of weird artificial light room with a man talking to him and it's very clearly even from the beginning I think before you know what it is it's very clearly like him being inducted into Treadstone in the first place and that will be our like guiding light in this one I guess. And I made a note so Mission Impossible 3 and Casino Royale both did cold opens that were fantastic and potentially the best scenes in the respective movies almost and this one is just kind of meh but it is going for a cold open as well but it just it isn't as impactful because nothing really all that notable happens other than oh cool it's like directly after the second one it's that weird thing where like obviously the structure is kind of fun when you start to realize that this movie is taking place within the last 10 minutes or so of between the penultimate and final scenes of supremacy yeah which it's quite a fun revelation but it's also like i don't know why they need to have this section what benefit does the movie have from having it be set in the immediate aftermath instead of just starting at that six weeks later but potentially none other than just to try and get it in your head immediately that we're connecting because i guess it kind of I don't want to say it buries the lead, I don't know, it like lampshades it a bit that like that's what they're doing, that it's set in between, because you could otherwise conceivably be like, oh, this is after the scene in New York at the end of the, the second one. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes it makes that scene at the end kind of less jarring if, mm. if you kind of like have this early setup. And uh, But like obviously like he goes to meet uh, Marie's brother. Yes, Daniel Brühl. I assume like you're talking about confessions and kind of like Tony yeah. Gilbert's script. That seems like that's this is what he was going. Oh, it seems like this is 100% a mirroring of the Nesky confession. I think there's a lot of stuff in this that is deliberately shot to look like stuff in the first two. But yeah, I feel he's trying to like tie up all his loose ends, as it were. Like everyone he knows that he because he says like I remember all their faces. I don't remember any of their names. And obviously he went and confessed to Nesky's daughter. And the only other person I guess he knows is Marie. So he's got to go tell her brother. And I wrote down, Hey, it's Scott Glenn. I didn't remember him. And Hey, it's Daniel Brawl. I definitely don't remember him <laughs> i guess when stick shows up in daredevil i didn't go oh it's that guy from the born ultimatum and then when i watched the leftovers i also didn't and i guess when we were talking about the leftovers i must have said out loud oh he's in the born ultimatum but <laughs> i definitely didn't remember him but yeah he's our latest cia shady dude he's the legit director of the cia like, well there was a legit the- director in the second one but the actor didn't come back so they're just like oh here's a new director <laughs> Right, okay. There is someone in the second one who's supposed to be the head of the CIA, and now it's Scott Glenn. In the course of six weeks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they could have just gotten around it by just saying, oh, there's a complicated hierarchy to this. <laughs> yeah, and you got Pam, like, failing to convince them that Jason isn't a threat anymore. But yeah, six weeks later, journalist Simon Ross begins writing a series of articles about Bourne after gaining information on Blackbriar from a mysterious contact, which triggers the CIA to start monitoring him, and then Jason, who is looking for whoever is, you know, at the head of all of this, makes contact with Ross, but fails to prevent his death. The whole... So, did you remember that Blackbriar was mentioned at the end of the first one? Of course I remember that Blackbriar was mentioned at the end of the first good, one. Good, good. I didn't want to put too fine a point on it when we were doing that episode and when I was talking about the ending, but I did want to, like, say it out loud. Like, yeah, and then yeah. he says Blackbriar. Uh, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I remember um, things in movies. I have that annoying, yes. insane memory. I'm with you, but not everyone does, so... And also, if you remember, at this point, that was five years ago, so maybe not everyone would. And it's a throwaway line 
And it's a storyline by Brian Cox, who was a throwaway character in that first one. (laughs) Yeah, and doesn't have like any relationship to anything in this movie because he's still covering up for Treadstone. Yeah, but then he opened Blackbriar, so I would imagine if he was still alive, he probably would have had something because they're like they're listening to his confession at the beginning, Pam and and Kramer and all these people. He is involved, but yeah, it's a it's a weird little tangential thing. So this like whole this is a real thing. This like keywords thing. At any given time, there are like a hundred keywords that if you say them on a phone almost anywhere in the world someone will start recording that call and review it to see if you are a threat to national security and it's fucking terrifying and i think them putting this operation together of like right we're gonna start tracking this person i think this is the most in-depth one of these they've done so far and just seeing them like right this is simon ross we're gonna pull his whole life apart we've got people watching him here here and here we're tracking his phone we're doing this we're doing this and it's like it's terrifying and like continuing to position the cia as like hey these guys are bad and the patriot act is bad and it is bad that we have this surveillance culture and it's setting it in london obviously we get that little kick because they like go to waterloo and everything and it's like oh god i've been here a lot but i don't remember it looking quite like this but hey when jason calls him and he makes sure to call like the front desk not his private line because then he has to answer it somewhere else and they're like why aren't we hearing this and who's he talking to all that i love it and i think this scene of, of jason like moving Simon around this station, around their surveillance, like, protecting him and all of that. I think it's both a remix of what he did with Nikki in the second one, and also it's just... But it's, like, more realised. I think this might be one of the best scenes in the entire franchise, and it just seems like, while Greengrass was a massive upgrade over Doug Lyman in the, in the second one, I think this is, like, really him... It's, like, all clicking now. This is confident. This is, like, wow, this is some of the, like, best-in-show kind of versions of this kind of a scene yeah this is like where because obviously like a lot of the stuff that was set up in the second movie is stuff that Greengrass had control of Mm -hmm. so they're trying to do that continued thing of like playing off the stuff from the previous movie and kind of like building this cohesive world in a kind of like three movies three movies which are quite lean movies to start with and make this kind of like big world but because Greengrass was in control of the visual language and what this stuff was in the second movie it feels so much more cohesive when you get to this movie and Mm. it's the same creation team i mean obviously give or take a a gilroy but like (laughs) it feels so much more of a piece of the second movie than the second movie playing off of bits and pieces from the first movie yeah i just think it's so well done weaving in and out of the crowd and being like right keep walking forward stop tie your shoe stand next to that guy in the hoodie and then like the fucking grab team you imagine being on a bus in (laughs) london and Americans get on waving guns, syringe a random guy, and drag him away. Like, especially especially when like you've just had like some guy walk in front of you on the phone and kind of like get all up in your space. You're just like, fuck off! I'm just trying to get to work. <laughs> uh, what I really like is the only reason that it fails is because he decides to go off on his own. Yep. Simon Ross kind of going like, oh no, it's safe for me to go. I'm just going to run across, and then of course gets slapped in the head immediately. Which... I love that the second he steps out the door, Paz shoots him in the head, and even before that, I. I think the bin man's one of them he's like what no shut the fuck up like keep walking <laughs> i like when they like physically cross over because he meets him in person and then they separate and then when he's like tying his shoe he like walks 
past him to like check on him and i think of john wick when i say it but obviously this predates john wick that whole like this stuff is happening in a public place and no one notices like when they're crossing paths at the shop and he like turns that guy's syringe on him and puts him in the chair like him protecting him without making himself seen i think is already good this feels better than the scene in casino royale of the guy <laughs> the museum, like leaving yeah. <laughs> leaving the bag at the museum yeah and then when he takes out that grab team on a camera and noah voison is like jesus christ that's jason bourne i touched on it in the second one but like turning him into like a mythological figure almost where they're like he's in the wind they haven't seen him who knows if he's even alive oh shit he's in the middle of our operation i think that all works incredibly effectively how, how do you feel about him being like news in the world yeah that's a bit strange where it's like I mean, it part like three of my article series on jason bourne it's like what <laughs> <laughs> would this happen yeah but it feels like it's the kind of thing that like most people don't give a shit about like exactly. it's just like oh I mean, yeah there's there's all this random shit in the world but it's like oh it's just the american being dicks in foreign countries and, and isn't it like it's like a side column in the guardian it's not even yeah. like front page or anything it's like a little thing they've shoved to the side and then paz as our latest like doesn't get any dialogue asset who shows up and him i like him doing it through the rotating sign so like whenever it changes you can see him and uh yeah the second Ross steps out by Paddy Considine, you were fun for like 10 minutes. Which Paddy Considine role from 2007 do you think is better? This or him in Hot Fuzz? Uh, well, he's got more memorable lines in Hot Fuzz, but... I, and a fantastic moustache. Of course. But this scene is, I think, pretty incredible. Like, I, I remember this vividly, and I was excited to get to it before we did. Obviously, like, you're not from London, but had you been to Waterloo much <laughs> yeah, before? Yeah. Oh, when I first saw it, no. But after this, a lot, yeah. Because, you know, it's on the way to Guildford, isn't it? Well, <laughs> for me, anyway. I guess he recovers his notebook off his corpse. But, yeah, he, he ends up with his notebook, and he uses it to find the source in the CIA, who is Neil Daniel who was a station chief in Madrid and he goes there but he's a bit too late because he's already scarpered but he meets Nikki at the safe house and she points him towards Tangier so we have so Noah Vosen is our new Brian Cox basically and he and Pam Pam Landy is back uh, they are bickering and they meet for that like fancy breakfast in new york somewhere and i love him giving her shit about fucking up with jason but then when she criticizes this operation we've just seen he's like don't second guess stuff from the middle of an operation where you make live decisions it's like isn't that what she would have done and it's like more of this like pam just getting like so much shit from men in the cia I gotta say, like, so Vosen is played by David, is it Straten? Do you say Strathern. that? Strathern. I have never seen such a long filmography of someone I have no recollection <laughs> of in my life. Like, he is one of the most forgettable people I've ever seen. He's coming off his Oscar nomination, and he's even in stuff I've seen, but I just have no recollection of him, and I just think, it's not that he's doing a bad acting job here, but like, compared to Chris Cooper, who even Chris Cooper was underbaked, but at least he's like a presence. And then Brian Cox, it's like, he just seems so milk toast in comparison, which is weird because this is the best. Maybe it is the best of the three. I don't know. I think I just prefer Supremacy, but like, this is the most successful one of these and probably the best realization of the concept, probably. I don't know how you feel about Boson, but. I really liked him. Okay. He just he's seems like, like a guy. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think, I think that's what I enjoy about yeah, it. Is like, this feels like they haven't got someone who's kind of like a big presence. They've got like a very small character 
character actor mm. who is just kind of supposed to be kind of prickly and a little bit standoffish and I just think like the motivations behind him are so much clearer for so oh, much of the movie oh they that... write the character better it's just you know when I'm looking back on these I just can't even see this guy's face you know <laughs> I mean I mean that's fair I mean I think that is but I think of... maybe that's on purpose is the CIA is full of people exactly like this <laughs> yeah like someone who you wouldn't recognize in the crowd I think it's kind of like inspired casting because like you run into Brian Cox you're like oh look it's Brian Cox it's Brian Cox he's gonna kill all the mutants I mean and Chris Cooper's a bit more of a chameleon but it's still kind of like you know it's Chris Cooper even if he changed up his face he's here to tell me about tropical fish and talk to me about his porn site and then drop all of that because he's got a new hobby go listen to there will be movies on uh, on interthrillworld.com are you you an Expanse fan? I feel like you would be someone who would watch The Expanse yes I just finished series one I just started series two and I like it okay so he's so okay so Sothan isn't in The Expanse yet for you but he will be soon Oh, cool. Thank you for that. I really like Pam showing up in the middle of Osun's operation and, like, sort of putting the fear of God into his team and, like, showing him up and, like, now, people, let's go. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And, like, don't look for whose, peop- whose phone was on. Look for whose phone was off during this meetup and everything and just immediately narrowing it down to three people and then down to one. Yeah, I like I like that the plan was, like, obviously later on in the movie it turns out they were going to, like, string her up by Black Bri- Bri- got frowned out and move it on and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm just like, do you really think that Pam Landy would like stand for that bullshit? Nope, Pam is a bad bitch. We love her. Um... I mean, it's just the most interesting thing is like, obviously they're gonna like like frame her for something or other, but it's just one of those things we start to go like, yeah, but she's the kind of person who'd have documents and be able to go like, uh, fuck you, I had no idea about yeah. any of this. Stuff. I don't think they're setting out to frame her. It's more if this goes south, we'll wrap it around her neck. Best case scenario, they just kill Jason, they kill Daniels, and it all just goes away. Yeah, she's been brought in as a potential scapegoat. Yeah, more of the flashbacks when Jason finds that picture of Daniels standing next to this man that his, who owns the voice that he keeps hearing. I also appreciated how these are not kind of quite as discombobulating as no. the ones in the last two movies have been. Like We've got some lens flare going on, for sure, but... There is, oh, yeah, it's, it's like a, blur or something. <laughs> but, like, they're less... Yeah, they're, kind of pl- they're less plot related like it's not like yes we do end up at the location that he's got the flashbacks to but it's not like the core piece of information we're missing about the movie yeah. is coming from this scene like the stuff Jason Bourne doesn't know what he's flashing back to but, yes. the, but the stuff in the present day is not being affected by him not knowing what was going on in this whereas True. all the stuff in all the stuff with Nesky is kind of like going like there's something here that we're missing out on that is part of and one Wosu who's still alive at the beginning of the movie <laughs> so yeah. I like the because of the like uniformity of their safe houses this almost feels like them getting a do-over on the ending of the first one that was really bad where like in, instead of like what if he jumped off the stairs and shot someone on the way down and all of that it's like okay what if he like jerry rigs this like fan with a flashlight on it and like makes it look like he's in that room and then yeah it's it just feels like a better version of that i still don't think it would have been a satisfying like final fight in a movie but it's at least better shot yeah um, i also i also appreciate how there's just more people for him to be doing battle with like there's no more of that there's still a little bit of a him walking into a random room and then someone's just like I am also highly trained in martial arts and will fight you <laughs> and it's just like like that happened in the last two movies where it's just like people of the same strength as born. I'm far more interested in him being better than random the people who they're, person, yeah. <laughs> that they're sending after him so yeah Nikki is back it is a bit weird that she just wanders in I, I feel like I feel like there's something more there in Jason Bourne but I can't actually remember what okay. it is I am really actually genuinely quite excited 
and curious to see what Jason Bourne is, to be honest. I suspect a big garbage fire, or just boring, but I like the whole, when they challenge her with the code word, there's the under duress, and then there's the everything's okay code word, and we see that she gives the, and like, the camera pans over to the one where everything is fine after she doesn't say the one that means she's okay, uh, that she's in trouble. But then I, and then I also like Vosen lying and being like, how long till backup? Five minutes. Right, backup will be there in an hour. And then she sees right through it and is like, yeah, you got three minutes. <laughs> so presumably they know that Bourne is there and they don't buy her everything's okay or are well, they just yeah, being I, dicks <laughs> I think it's kind of like a mix of the two things where like she's given them all the code words but they're also just like yeah but we really should make sure yeah <laughs> like I'm sure they don't have all the information where like well she was kidnapped by Bourne in the last movie and was his psychiatrist in the first movie but she wasn't what was she not a psychiatrist I thought she was the person are you giving to... me spoilers for Jason Bourne no I thought she was like his the person who he was like relaying information like oh I guess but I don't think they're going to be the psychiatrist. Yeah, she would. She would have given him missions, and they hint at something more here in a minute. But I'm not going to have to look into this and see whether or not I have accidentally spoiled something. That's fine. That I, didn't, I, I, I didn't even remember. I, it was a spoiler. There is no way they can't dig further into this like giant hint they drop if she is like the second lead character in Jason Bourne. So it's fine. <laughs> I assume something is going. On. Uh, she's fifth build in that movie, so she what? is not. She is not the second build. I thought she was like the second main character. Oh my god. No. Oh my no. God. Goodness. Alicia Vikander is higher build than she is in that movie. Alicia Vikander's in it? Yeah. Oh, Jesus, I know nothing about this movie. The top the top five build people for that movie, Matt Damon, Tommy Lee Jones, yeah. Alicia Vikander, Vincent Cassell, Julia Stiles, and Riz Ahmed. Wow. Is Cassell our latest... What? Are you saying they go after, they go after generic Castell. European people? Yes. I do like his cute little calling in. He calls the police and goes, oh yeah, there's Americans firing guns, and he just fires his gun off six times <laughs> and trashes the office no this is i really enjoy like all of this this is what i'm looking for from this franchise yeah. more than anything is like him being better than people and they outsmart him he outsmarts them more <laughs> the, the other thing that i really appreciate about it and like we kind of got it in that first scene in london with paz and we're gonna get it with the next operative who comes in dash Dash, is this movie kind of like instills them with a lot more weight like they do what I kind of wanted the first movie to do where like, like, like a legit presence who are like stalking him and stuff. exactly like they, there is a long chase sequence with them rather than the first time we meet them is like the scene where they die whereas where he like kicks a window in with a machine gun and, yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> whereas in this movie it's like both of them have long sequences where they manage to accomplish what they want to accomplish yeah. and also lead to kind of like yeah, long they do, don't they? <laughs> I guess they succeed succeed their missions <laughs> yeah and then you get Vosen continuing this trend of fun fundamentally misunderstanding who Bourne is when it's like oh he's gonna leak this on the black market and then all this or or, or sell our secrets or, or I, I can't remember exactly what he says but it's like you do you don't understand who he is in the same way that Brian Cox didn't understand or maybe you understand who he was but you haven't met him since amnesia so so the ghost Tangier Bourne fails to prevent Daniel's death at the hands of Dash but he does save Nikki from the same fate and he kills Dash so on the way there there is this scene in the diner where you stopped watching <laughs> is it just not me? because I was bored because I was very dead <laughs> so Nikki and Jason are talking to me this immediately screamed of when 
when he and Marie were talking in the diner in the first one and he's like, I don't know how I know this, but I know this, 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 this and this. I would imagine that probably is on purpose. But we also get this hint that she says it was always hard for me with you. And then it just remains silent for a while. And it's like, did you fall in love with him through working with him? Did you have a pre-existing relationship? You may know the answers to these things because of Jason Bourne. I don't right now. I genuinely don't because I remember nothing of Jason Bourne. (laughs) Excellent. It's a very intriguing thing to just drop in the middle of this movie and then like not really come back to. After the Desh stuff, we'll go back to the Desh stuff, but after like she survives, the cutting of the hair, exactly like Marie. I'm glad they don't have sex i think she does become the love interest doesn't she but yeah they they hold off from it here and he just sends her away and it's like i don't know how i feel about this whole surrogate marie thing because i do like the whole hearkening back to stuff that's already happened but then i also we'll talk about this in female agency i think pam has the very correct objection that like you don't have the authority to kill Nikki. And he's like, I can do what the fuck I want. And they're talking about Black Briar in this way, is that, like, no red tape, we kill whoever we want, it's all good, baby. And it's like, oh shit, this is even worse than Treadstone. And yeah, like, this... And a room full of people, too, as they're just shouting at each other about this. It's like, you you can't kill Nikki. And he's like, yeah, well, and like... Yeah, I guess they all just have to take that. A little bit racist that the Arabic agent is a bomb maker to me, but <laughs> hey, we are in Tangier, and they very much struggle with crowd control, so whenever you see an actor pushing someone in the crowd out of the way, that's real. They couldn't close it off well enough, so it's just Julia Stiles just pushing her way through actual people, potentially putting her in danger, but hey-ho. And we get this roof t- rooftop chase scene and the window jump, which I mentioned. They kind of do it twice, but from different angles, and it's the second one that was like everywhere. And I remember seeing the trailer for Quantum of Solace, which I haven't seen in a long time, and thinking they ripped this exact shot off. And I will be very interested to see Quantum of Solace again and seeing if I actually think that or not. Because I, at this point, I was like, oh, these Bond movies, they think they've made them all good now. And uh, obviously I turned the corner on that. I was like, oh no, they did make them good now. But I was like very anti. I was like, Team Bourne. I was like, oh, they're just ripping off Bourne. Blah, 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 blah. So I will be interested to see if I do feel that way in what is considered a bad movie still. But yeah. And it's ironic because in The Living Daylights... Bond runs across rooftops in Tangier to get away from the police, which uh, Jason is doing here. And like, I like the little touch of he sees the broken glass further up and he grabs some like washing off a line and like wraps his hands around it so he can vault over it. And then the police have to stop and all of that. And then his little fight with Dash. It feels like, again, them getting a do over on the Castell fight in some ways, but it's got a lot more, it's a lot more grounded, it's a lot more brutal. I mean, I mean, they literally reverse it, don't they? Yeah. Like, because yeah, it, it, he it's jumps not... through the window. Though, yeah. He jumps through the window to attack him. And no, it, this feels like the series is playing with its own imagery and mythos, which yes. is actually quite interesting for yeah. a series to do after three movies. And <laughs> In what I, was I, intended to be the last one, which... Yeah, uh, like it, address in the future. But. I just, I just find it quite interesting that a, a film franchise which is only five years old yeah. is able to kind of play with its own internal imagery in such a kind of interesting way to kind of create new stuff out of it. Like I think, unquestionably, this is probably one of the best made movies we've yeah. watched so far. Yeah, like it's just very point- like tight. 
know. <laughs> yeah, to the, to the point where like the future movies in this franchise or in in this genre so fundamentally are looking at doing what this movie did. Yep, I feel that window jump shot. I feel that is in one trailer per year every year since this, pretty much. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, I, I text you afterwards, and like the first stunt credited person on this movie is David Leach, who yes. <laughs> obviously would go on to be one of the stunt guys on uh, the Marvel movies, would direct Deadpool two, would be co-director on John Wick. I mean, obviously he does a lot of stunt work, but it's just one of those things where like you see that and you go, okay, I can see a straight line from kind of like stunt coordination teams becoming the dominant force in how the visual language in these movies is yeah. is made. That, that um, That's your born legacy right there. <laughs> the shaky well, I mean, cam and this kind of stunt work. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you even get to see it in Mission Impossible where like, I think Mission Impossible does so much more with kind of practical effects and making it look visually static. But there are some scenes in later Mission Impossible movies where you just like, holy fuck, this is insanity. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to those. <laughs> uh, it, it, it genuinely, some of the most kind of like, when you realise it's all done in camera and there's no special effects in there, you just kind of go like, this is... <laughs> kind of wonderful. Yeah. Whereas this movie, like, because I mean, like, like you take it, the scene in Waterloo, which is somewhere I've been many, many times. It's somewhere that I literally commuted into every day for about a year. I know that station very intimately. I was still, even though it's kind of ten years on from when I spent a lot of time there. Yeah, the movie is shot in such a way that it's kind of hard to get a grasp on the geography. Yeah, I had this exact comment written down: is the shaky cam stuff. And the way they shoot these, it is effective in some ways, but I find it very difficult to build a mental map of where everyone is. Like, when he is trying to make his way towards Dash while Dash is trying to find Nikki, I'm like, what? How is he here? And how? And it's, I think it's, it's most pronounced in the car chase at the end. Like, the car chase seems like it's really good, but I have no real clue what's happening in some ways because they do have this sort of very kinetic very frantic shaky camera and everything and it's the geography of a scene and it feeling like a real space where you know where everyone is is lacking i mean the, the thing with the dash scene where he's chasing dash i think is interesting in that he we know where he is in relation that the police are kind of nearby him and he's trying to find these two people i think that's effective in that feeling of born trying to find people whilst trying to evade people yeah but the issue but i mean more like when they're actually in side and like now Desh is in this build and he's moving to this room and then Bourne's on this build. I don't know. It's just... No, I, no, I, I agree. I think it, it's effective when Bourne is looking. I think it's less yes. effective in telling you when Desh is aware where Nikki is and yes. and these things. And, but then again, I'm going to disagree with the car chase at the end. I don't think it's as good as the car chase at the end of two, which is just mm-hmm. kind of insanity. But I do think there's a, a sense of even if there's a lack of geography, there's a sense of location in that you can tell it's all being filmed on like New York Street, which yeah, makes that, it seem... That's... I mean, there must be car chases in New York, but it felt very like, we don't see this a lot. This is very obviously New York. This isn't somewhere that we're telling us it's New York. Yeah, I mean, like even even something like Dark Knight and stuff like that, where they would do a car chase, is like, well, we filmed it in Chicago, and yeah. we've shot off streets, and it's done at night, and there's not this... Yeah this sense of stuff. And you think of the car chases in these modern movies, stuff like Matrix Reloaded mm. and all these movies, and they're all done in kind of generic they locations. Could just be anywhere, yeah. Yeah, I don't think Tenet, which it looks to be having some like quite cool car stunts, is going to feel quite as like a lived-in location as... Yeah 
this did. And that is the strength of that car chase. Is like, oh, this is New York ass New York, and like they they had to fill, they had to drive at thirty five miles an hour because these were real streets in New York they were filming on, and then they just had to make it look as though they were going fast. It's interesting. Well, yeah, this just happens right now. Jason heads to New York. He makes contact with Pam. The little connective scene from the end of Supremacy. She tells him his real name and his date of birth, and we have a car chase, and then we realise that it was not his date of birth, but the address to the facility where he was conditioned for Treadstone. So what was, like, going through your head when you hit this scene, and you're like, oh shit, it's when they had that phone call at the end of 2. So I will admit, I watched the trailer for this movie before I watched it, it, and they used the scene. I was like, oh, that's interesting. They just wholesale used the scene for Born Supremacy in this movie. Huh. I'll put... put that in the back pocket and so when i hit it i was like kind of going like oh so legit they've just did they reshoot it or is it actually because they've (laughs) added stuff around it obviously but they had to reshoot it because i think she would would have looked looked at it side by side yeah she would look different and and yeah but yeah they add some stuff around it with vosen and 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 all of that sort of stuff but i thought it was a really cute thing to do no i think i think it's probably one of the more i think the only thing that i would kind of like put against it is obviously the end of the second movie is him kind of like walking the streets of new york with with the moby song playing and it kind of feels like him getting away and stuff like that and then this movie completely changes the context of that and doesn't really give you the the same shots or the same yeah i think they're trying to say yes this is where he's walking at the end of two but oh he's been spotted now but it just it looks it's shot completely differently where like yeah but i think i think that's that's the main issue with watching them so close together is that like watching them three years apart that scene maybe wouldn't kind of like maybe but to me i was kind of like are they saying yeah i think your brain would just lie to you and be like oh this is exactly what it was in the second one whereas here we're like oh it's not the same but it's a it's a cute thing to do and to have it not be the beginning of your movie or anything like that to do it two-thirds of the way through your movie it's like oh okay (laughs) is it that they've bugged landy's phone or is it that she says a word that kind of sets them off to like no to I would imagine every phone line in a CIA building is li- <laughs> is listenable by anyone else in the CIA <laughs> to be honest because yeah like she gives this message over the phone oh and also what did you think of like so obviously she tells him your name is David Webb and this is your birthday in the second film and then we learn that's not his date of birth at all and I don't know if you actually see a piece of paper in the second that shows that she's saying something different than what is written they can't have been because the internet would have pulled that apart over the years between the films but well i guess i guess that's the benefit of the movie is that it's kind of out in that period where i doubt the born people are on a forum like the lost <laughs> fans or whatever it's like pulling apart the references in the born movies this is, this is true but we see this time that when she says the date of birth there are different numbers written on the paper she's looking at and it's like oh that's quite cute that like this line has been out there since 2004 and now we learn it's a major like plot point for this third movie i thought it was already cute I like Vosen and his team like following Landy as she goes to ostensibly meet Bourne and then just Jason just breaks in while they're out and takes the Blackbriar files, takes a fingerprint off his mouse, calls him and he says his name and like uses it to get into the safe and again we have this cute thing of like yeah I'll come meet you, where are you? He's like oh I'm in my office. Like, oh I doubt that. Why? Because then we'd be having this conversation face to face. Bye! I was like I think 
they can't do it too often, and I don't know if they'll do it in Jason Bourne, but like I do, this gets me every time they do it, and I think it's a cool little thing that they keep doing. Has he stolen a card from that guy who's like the assistant to to Vosen? Because like, because like, there's that scene where like Vosen calls his like second in command. It's just uh, like Bourne's in the building, go there, oh, and, and then, to, like shoot the glass. Don't he they? should yeah. shoot the glass because his like card doesn't work. And I'm just like, oh, has he done? Yeah, has he done something in regards to that to like trap him in? Disabled the lock or something? I don't, I don't know. I like that no one in the CIA kind of like bats an eyelid to that, where it's just like obviously something <laughs> something bad's going down because someone's brought out their gun in the CIA and started shooting at doors. Yeah, but there's people in the Middle East that they need to keep track of. Paz opens fire on fucking cops, man. Paz was the the sniper at the beginning, and they and he is called on again at the end here. And Jason is trying to get away from the police and the CIA. He like drives a car off a roof onto a lower roof. The police have him at gunpoint, and then Paz just starts shooting. Is like, oh shit, he really is like above everything, isn't he? We have this car chase, and yeah, I, I think we've kind of said it all is that like, I think the geography, the location is effective, but I kind of just had a hard time keeping a real good track of like, why is it turned here? I, I like him, like, you know, he grabs the seatbelt to brace himself and stuff like that before he crashes into the side, and, and then they make it mirror what happened with Kirill, right up to him walking up to him in the car and then leaving him. With a lot of car chases, I think they're more fun than they actually are for me a lot of the time. We're not really car chase guys, you and I, but... No, no, no. It's why, <laughs> it's why my least favourite Tarantino movie is Death Proof, which is literally ends with like a 45-minute long car chase. And yet you like Mad Max, which is a 90-minute car chase. This is true. I have to, <laughs> I have to ponder these things. Uh, Mad Max fucks is all I'm going to say <laughs> in response to that. We'll I see if Ben forces Mad Max onto There Will Be Movies Volume 2. And then we will have us a discussion because I fucking hate Mad Max and I'm the only one who does apparently. But <laughs> I, I don't I doubt I will win that battle. I mean um, you can put it on if you right. want to put it on, but anyway. So what I quite liked is so Paz manages to catch up. I kind of missed the connected tissue. I know he was in the hotel room and he gets in the car presumably, but I kind of missed him joining the chase, I think. He just shows that when Bourne is like he's in like a parking lot and the cops like corner him. Oh, and he pulls up then and starts shooting. And then, right, like, okay. Bourne raises his hands and then, like, Paz is, like, 50 feet behind them and he misses Bourne somehow. I did enjoy how the car chase ends in a very similar way yes. to the end of 2 with him, like... Exactly, like, with Kirill, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. Again, it's nice to see a movie play with its own mythos, which... Yeah. More of this. Like, exactly. Like, it feels like... I mean, obviously Bond starts to do it to, to less good degrees, but then that's a <laughs> franchise with kind of, like, 25 movies worth of mythos, whereas yeah, this is true. working with three, and all three of those movies have the same scriptwriter, and two well, of them have the same director (laughs) it's a lot more easy to kind of do what this movie is kind of juggling but it's still impressive to watch a movie be this kind of quite tightly focused and I mean I don't want to say it's it's like influenced by TV but obviously this is Mm. an era where TV is starting to come into its own and you have the Sopranos and the Wire and Deadwood kind Mm. of like reaching the end of their runs at this point yeah so he reaches this and it's not really like a CIA facility it's a fucking hospital and he confronts he he finds the corridor that he's kept seeing and he meets Albert Hirsch who is this voice he keeps hearing and uh, yeah we, we he confronts him about like because Nikki talks about earlier on, like, oh, they, like, break their subjects down before they can train them, and, like, there's a lot of hints about, like, mental conditioning, and, like, did they torture him into, like, becoming this person? But then he learns he volunteered for Treadstone in quite a bombshell. He just sort of starts running away, Paz comes for him, but lets him go after he repeats the words the professor said to him. 
Bozen takes a shot as he's jumping off a roof, and we'll we'll get to that in a second. But so Pam and Bourne meet face to face for the first time. He he gives her the files after he like likes her reason for helping him, I guess, and she uses them to protect herself. Like she faxes them to herself, someone in the CIA, and like she's like, "Go get a lawyer, Noah." <laughs> I, I I I like that. I like the kind of it, the easy way to end that scene would have been to have him just shoot in the head. But it's mm-hmm. one of those scenes where I like that there's still checks and balances within this system where like, yes. oh, you can't just shoot a CIA operative, like, in cold blood in the middle of nowhere. Well, I feel he maybe... Well, yeah. He maybe could have if she hadn't faxed those documents and just pinned it on Jason, but, like, as soon as he's incriminated and then it turns out she's dead, it's like, yeah, I will do you for this. So, he knows he's lost. A cute thing is, among the pages in that whole Treadstone Blackbriar file, one of the pictures of the targets that Jason killed is Richard Chamberlain, who played Jason Bourne in the uh, 80s TV movie. So, like, you could construct a headcanon where like he killed the original Jason Bourne and it would have been really cool if Richard Chamberlain was the dude in the corner that he has to kill without asking and then he goes now you are Jason Bourne and so that would have been nice but I don't know if Richard Chamberlain was alive I don't know anything about Richard Chamberlain I'm sorry but yeah um I, I like his line about you know you don't deserve the star they'd give you on the wall at Langley but I think the meat here is discovering like little by little we've discovered jason is a bad man or was a bad man and it's like oh he was sent to he was an assassin and he killed people in the first one and the second one it's like he did kill someone like he did kill these two people and made them look like they kill each other and it's like oh that's that's pretty fucked up and then we learn all of this and like he's made many kills over the years and we see them there and he talks about how he he remembers all the faces but none of the names and learning that he was he volunteered for this program and that to pass his final test he just had to kill someone on orders without knowing who they were and what they did and stuff like it's heavy shit like to say that your hero that we met in a moment of like vulnerability you know like drowning and like healing and not knowing who he is and we've been sympathetic towards him all the way through and then like to reveal before any of this he was some soldier who signed up to just kill people i mean you know to protect american lives or whatever but like it's framed in a bad bad way (laughs) of like you know he was a bad person and i think matt damon is really excellent in this scene that could have been pretty rote as he sits there having to kill someone and like really really thinking about it and i think you know this idea of like who he was versus who he is is he actually a different person arguably from the amnesia with the with the influence of marie because we've seen him be like this person who tries not to kill people like he disposes of guns he lets people live he walks away from stuff and he generally only kills when it's a situation where it's like this person will kill me if i don't kill them so i have to kill them and then he it it stays with him after he's done it every time i would genuinely be intrigued to see where jason bourne goes in a world where he now knows this that he signed up for this life and and then did it willingly yeah and and did all that i think all that is really 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 interesting i think the thing though is that obviously they do stuff to him to break him well like yes. yes he yes he volunteers to do this but they do fundamentally like they've got all the do- documents kind of saying like oh he did the the tank test or whatever it was oh yeah they're like dunking his head and like bagging him and it, it, i feel like they confronted him with this test multiple times and he kept not doing it and they kept dragging him away and doing more and like this is when he finally did it which 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 yeah i think is that in, is that interesting thing where obviously like he is not a good person no. um but he willingly goes into it he 
he's obviously some kind of soldier going into this because he thinks he's going to help people. Yeah. And then to make him into their perfect weapon, they go like, right, you're not going to sleep. We're then going to put a man in front of you. Yeah. We're not going to tell you why you have to kill him. We're just going to tell you what his name is, essentially. Yeah. And just all these different things. It's like, yes. Yeah, I, have to- I guess he's not like a monster, but like this is all like really dark and heavy stuff. And knowing that he signed up for this, and even if they did go to extreme lengths to like turn him into what they were looking for that revelation of you signed up is kind of a heavy thing to put on him oh 100 i i agree with that it's just i think it's they don't fully go this was like he isn't involved in the creation of treadstone he isn't helping develop the tactics that kind of like put all these people into it he's someone who signed up for something and obviously what he signed up for was not what he thought it was going to be yeah and we do have to remember like while he was willingly doing all of this and he killed many many people he did also without any prompting refuse to kill Wombosi because of the kids and stuff so like that good person was obviously there but yeah it, I, I think it's interesting and like they talked about how now he knows everything is there an interesting story and they would wait or Matt Damon was like I, I would rather wait until we have that interesting story and I would be interested to see where they take it Jason Bourne or if in typical sort of reboot or long after sequel fashion they kind of just do a generic thing that has no real <laughs> connection. I don't know. And I think Matt Damon is really good here um, in that scene. And and Albert Hirsch, like, you know, he's only in it for a very short amount of time, but, like, he has this, like, perfect voice for this, like, mad scientist-type character, I think. And it's all happening in, like, fluorescent lighting in this secret back room. Like, yeah, I think it's all really good stuff. But yeah, and then in the aftermath, like, he lands, obviously, in the water, and it's very clearly framed to look like the opening of the first movie where he's in the water and he's still and then we see the news reports afterwards where it's like all the key players have been arrested but then when Nikki hears there's nobody was found she smiles and we see him swimming away to Moby and uh, yeah I think if they'd left it here like you even asked me why did they make more of these <laughs> I think that's a really nice piece of and I, it's almost like this would have been incre- like very good artistic integrity to tell your trilogy that like it's a flawed first movie but I think they make the first one better in retrospect with what they do with two and three and like to tie it up neatly and tell this complete story would have been great and to have lit and to have left this like indelible footprint on action movies and stuff it would have been like, oh cool and i feel by making two more that are bad too boring they have kind of hurt the legacy of the born franchise <laughs> where like arguably this is the weakest of the three franchises we're covering but if they just stopped here i might say it's the best <laughs> I don't know. I mean, obviously, Bond's going to come down to how this last movie plays out, but Mm -hmm. it's obviously an institution, and obviously two of the movies are really fucking good in that franchise. I think it goes good, bad, good, bad, so hopefully this next one is good. Hopefully hopefully we're on a good trend, and Mission Possible obviously has the worst movie we're going to cover, presumably. Like, I don't think (laughs) Born Legacy is... I think Mission Impossible 2 is at least more fun than The Bourne Legacy. <laughs> Not um, necessarily on purpose. But then, obviously, Mission Impossible goes from strength to strength over the course of four movies where like, they fully nail down what that franchise should be. Mm-hmm. And it feels like this is the crystallisation of what this franchise should have been, and you could have, like, I would have cut out the scene of him swimming away and just left it with her smiling. You don't need the scene of him swimming away. Uh, just, we didn't find a body. We didn't find, we didn't find a body, she smiles. But I think someone ends. wrote down, we see him floating, like, in the first one, it seems like he's dead, but then he starts kicking his legs, and they got very excited about it. But it doesn't, 
I don't think it's actually filmed that well. But describing it, I think it sounds good. But it, yeah, I I probably would have left it out as well. But yeah, I mean, like this is easily like I sent you the list. I've got I've been updating privately mm. in the background of all this. This is the second best movie we've covered. Mm. Um, even with my kind of latent affection for JJ and Mission Possible Three, this yeah. is a better movie than that. Mm. I think I like Supremacy more as like a small. I don't know, like a self-contained thing, but then I think this is doing some meta stuff that is a very impressive. I, I love it. Like, obviously, I, I love all three of these, and obviously, Identity. I got some shocks about how it's not as good as I remembered it, but I don't know. I think I have more of a like emotional connection to the second one than this one, but like, I think it is very, very good. I, I think what hurts it, and we can slightly move into that with Villain Watch here. Dash, while like the whole stalking each other across Tangier thing is good he never says a word and he gets racially stereotyped and paz barely says a word and like i understand why they do this like having these like silent ruthlessly efficient killers who are just really good at their jobs but then when professor was like a chatterbox and jada spoke to him a bit it kind of breaks it it's like i almost wish none of them talked but then the stuff with born saying look at what they make you give like the professor said to him and then that like really resonating with paz i think that's really effective it's just i think when i think of this movie i'm like while all the stuff in tangier is in theory good there's no there's not a lot to attach to here because dash is such a non-entity in terms of a character see but i what i where i would disagree with this and yes he is a non-character but i think this movie goes a long way to making everyone else feel like a character i think like simon ross feels like a character i think that he yep. feels like a character noah vosen feels like a character yeah Pablo landy feels like a character hell I, I think albert finney as hirsch is really fucking good yeah. in that kind of like one scene that he gets to have these kind of what they're doing is they're saying like right you know how jason Bourne doesn't say much and the only reason he says anything really at this point is because he's he's kind of like becoming a person again yes. he's overwritten his his kind of like amnesia that they've kind of forced on him to not remember things and just be a machine mm. We're going to put them up against two machines. It, this is like the Terminator, but if they were human, <laughs> kind of yeah. thing. And they're there to be physically impressive, and they're there to be yeah. a kind of force of nature. And I think both of them, like Joey Anser, is is great as kind of like this physical present in the movie. Yeah, the little and, capoeira. Like capoeira is not the same as free running, but like it reminded me of that like little parkour bit in Casino Royale. That's very like these unorthodox styles of movement have infiltrated cinema at this point. You know. <laughs> and putting a dude who's doing these like little side flips and stuff in this, it was like, yeah, this feels very measured and stuff. Yeah, and like, I, I think overall, as a collection of villains, they've achieved it the best here out of the three of them. Like, Vosen, I think, is the best written of these, you know, the Chris Cooper, the Brian Cox role that we've had so far. For as forgettable as I think he is to look at, but again, potentially on purpose. I think that's really well done. Paz is really memorable for me because he kind of arguably gets the one up on Bourne at the end. And like, he left Kirill because he assumed he was dead. He left Paz because he assumed he was dead, but Paz actually gets out and gets the drop on him. And, you know, this idea that like, because Treadstone was the first program and then they scrapped it and made Blackbriar. And Desh and Paz both complete their missions, albeit they don't manage to kill 
born. This idea that like this is a an upgrade over Treadstone, and Paz kind of gets the drop on him. I thought that was pretty effective. Uh, Hirsch, as you said, I think is is really good in a very small role. I, I think all of the the villains combined work. Yeah, this well. this this is an example of a movie in which having multiple villains kind of all coalescing into one thing really actually worked. We've we've done movies before where we've kind of said like, oh, I wish they didn't split the focus between these two villains. They just had one of them. Whereas this movie, I don't think any of the villains detract from what other kind of villainous characters are doing because it's part of more about an institutional villainy, which I think does help this movie in terms of this is obviously quite a politically charged movie in what it's saying about the state of American foreign access in the mid-2000s. And it's coming down on something which, again, probably wasn't the popular opinion at that point. Well, I guess you have to say it probably was the popular opinion by 2007 because the next year they get rid of George Bush. (laughs) Yes. So, did you throw up? Now, the average shot length in The Bourne Identity, I believe, was somewhere around four seconds. I believe in The Bourne Supremacy, it was like 1.4 seconds. Two seconds in this one. But some of the camera work when he's fighting here is the most pronounced, like, whoa, this is moving a bit too much for me. I don't know if it's just because it's a higher shot quality in terms of the film. Like, I think this one looks visually the best of the these three we've had. And maybe that makes it more pronounced, the higher def or whatever. But very shaky cam. And as I said, I think it does have a bit of an impact on you being able to understand the geography of, of what's going on. But, you know, it continues to be a stylish, cool thing that we've maybe seen too much of because everyone did it. Yeah, I think we have to kind of call out that I think one of the biggest movies that kind of took the shaky cam style and ran with it in a blockbuster set and comes out in 2007 as well, Transformers. Oh. Undeniably, yeah, Transformers you're right. looks like a Bourne movie. You're right. Oh god, but they're so ugly though. <laughs> oh god, just lumps of grey that are indistinguishable, ripping each other apart in slow motion with lens flare and shaky cam humans who are all a little bit sweaty and yellow. Oh. So I'm looking at the MTV Movie Awards for 2008. They've got a list of best fight nominees. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Damon versus Joey Answer for Porn Ultimatum is on the list. Let's just run down some of the other films that are on this list. Sure. Alien versus Predator for Alien versus Predator Requiem. Obviously. Hayden Christensen versus Jamie Bell for Jumper. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Toby Maguire versus James Franco for Spider-Man 3. Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan versus Sun Min Ming for Rush Hour 3. Fuck yeah. Oh, uh, 3? And- oh, no, fuck no. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. And the ultimate winner uh, of the best fight of 2008 at the MTV Movie Awards, Sean Farris versus Cam Kigadent in Never Back Down. What? Yeah. <laughs> what are yep. any of those words? I don't recognise either of those actors or that Sean Farris versus Cam Kigadent for Never Back Down. I don't directed, know that film. I don't know those actors. Directed by Jeff Wadlow, who would go on to do Kick-Ass 2 and uh, Truth or Dare, which is actually kind of fun. Female agency. Pam Landy is still a boss bitch. We love her. Getting to one-up Vosen and his crew, all of that. Nikki, though. This is multi-layered for me, because on the one hand, she's got more to do than she has before. I don't like that he is still dragging her around a little bit. I don't know how I feel about her becoming a surrogate Marie. I'm glad they don't sleep together, as I said. She doesn't speak for her last, like, 20 minutes of being in the movie. Like, from when her and Jason are agreeing on what to do with Dash until he puts her on that bus and says it gets easier. She doesn't speak. That's not good. And then, if you look on her... I mean, you would have to, like, freeze the movie to see this, but when they have her profile up on the screen... It says that she has some combat training and some martial arts disciplines. When she tries to help Jason with Desh, 
it comes across as very just sort of undisciplined and woman getting backhanded unconscious by man to get her out of the way during fight scene. I appreciate that this is meant to be like some mega elite assassin man, so she shouldn't be able to beat him, but it's not a great trope to happen overall. And while I don't think for the most part this franchise treats the women overly badly, it's like, if this one feels far more male-dominated somehow. Or maybe the yeah, second I, one was, I don't know. But I, 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 don't, I like... Joan Allen and Julia Stiles are both actually kind of good in this. Yeah. I, but I do think that they are they are backgrounded a lot more yeah. than they have been in previous movies. There's less time that Bourne spends with either of them face-to-face. They're both kind of put upon mm. into, like, negative positions. I, I, don't, I feel like we're three movies in now, away from Mission Impossible 2 and grading on a curve, they've all done decently by their female characters, I feel like. For the most part, yeah. For the most part. I'm worried about where we're going to go. Um, <laughs> I'm very worried for the next appearance of Nikki Parsons. Same. And I really don't remember what happened with Rekha Vice, but it's... Uh... Yeah, I don't think it's going to be good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Joan Allen is apparently in Born, Born Legacy as well, so... I don't remember her, but that doesn't mean she wasn't... Is, is that is she going to be, like, the... On Brian a screen Fox or something? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I really don't know. But yeah, and then there were no more Born movies, and this was the end, and it's great. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's not the case. We will be back with Jeremy Renner in a few episodes' time. But next week, Quantum of Solace. A, mo- uh, a movie I have not seen since the cinema. I didn't see it in the cinema, but I haven't seen it since the first time I saw it. So, yeah, a good long time ago. Ten years. What if we actually like it now? I feel like I'm going to dig out my review that I wrote for my <laughs> old vlog that I did. What did I give it at the time? I'm, am I going to regret what I gave it? Jesus Christ, I'm such a fucking wanker. Seven out of ten. Seven out of ten? I know. That's a coward score for it's not actually good, but I feel I should give it a higher number. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> the actual score was 7.5. Oh, but... Fuck you and your half point. Seven exactly. actually means five in my experience. <laughs> and that's probably over generous based on the legacy of this movie. But we will get there and we will also get to the Bourne legacy. The episode after the episode after that. Of Quantum of Solace, Ghost Protocol, and then we'll be back with Bourne. Uh, but for now, this has been another episode of Secret Agent Men. Go to enterthrillwatt.com. Like, comment, subscribe, look at all the stuff. We've got new podcasts. It'll already be up by the time you hear this about Breaking Bad with Jerome Cusson and Kevin Ford. And remember, this podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. Goodbye, Ben. Are you you actually going to start this now? As we've always said, this podcast (laughs) will destruct in five seconds. Bye, everyone. Secret.